Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Part one of our NFC East preview is brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience instead of shopping dozens of sites all over the web. Let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers at the stadium on SeatGeek. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Part one of our NFC East opponent preview is brought to you by MyBookie. Summer is the best time of year. We're talking vacation, the beach, lots of sun, and, of course, sports. Whether you like MLB, MMA, golf, or anything else, MyBookie is the place to bet. Their mobile site is so easy to use and allows you to make bets from anywhere. No hassle, no waiting line, no need to get off the couch. MyBookie wants you to have as much fun as possible this summer, and what's more fun than winning money while watching sports? Just visit MyBookie.ag today to get started, then try your luck at outsmarting the odds makers. But wait! If you deposit with promo code BEARS100, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BEARS100. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. My guest today is Kurt Mackison from GQ, G-Men HQ, excuse me, from fansided.com. Uh, he'll be helping us out with the, the preview. And uh, we talk about it all. We talk about Daniel Jones, what went wrong in in 2018 and and uh the the fire sale with obj and olivier vernon and and the trades that that the giants made and and where they stand in 2019 so without further ado myself and kurt mackison let's kick it off the 2019 afc east part one preview starting with the new york giants The AFC West and our same place opponents in our rear view. Now it's time to look ahead. We're, we're going downhill now at the NFC East before moving on to the NFC North and concluding our 2019 opponent preview set. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part one of the NFC East opponent preview, starting with the New York Giants. And, and Kurt Mackison from G-Men HQ on Fansided.com will be here in just a moment to help us preview uh, the 2019 G-Men. And um, before I get to that, I just have one. One news and notes story. Uh, one that uh, I was alerted to several times uh, yesterday uh, when it came out. And one that's kind of got Bear fans up in a, in a, in a, in a heap uh, at the moment. Uh, just kind of uh, annoyed, if not angry, uh, about what took place yesterday. Uh, on NFL Live yesterday, the uh, I, I think it was like one of the final segments of the show, something like that. Uh, they came in, and there's the the host of the show, and then three panelists, 
asking who had the worst offseason of any team in the NFL. And there was a lady whose name I'm forgetting, and forgive me for that, uh, Damian Woody, the former New England Patriot, and our former head coach, John Fox, were the three panelists. Now, uh, the, 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 the young lady on, on the, the panels uh, went for uh, the Giants, trading OBJ, trading Olivier Vernon, uh, drafting Daniel Jones number six when they probably could have gotten him at 17, so on and so forth. She thinks the Giants had the worst offseason uh, of, of, the, of the year so far. Both Damian Woody and John Fox picked the Bears. Now, Damian Woody had a bit more legitimacy on his side, but still, both of those guys picking the Bears in general was insane. The saying that the Bears had the worst offseason out of anyone in football is a bananas idea. It just there's just no there's no justifying it. However, Woody's made more sense than John Fox's did. Uh, Damian Woody was saying that the loss of Vic Fangio would be would be and letting him get away essentially, even though it wasn't up to us, uh, letting De- Fangio get away and and uh, you know how that's going to hurt the defense or so he thinks and. Uh, and what have you is the reason that he chose the Bears to have uh, the worst offseason. John Fox parroting the the idea of Damian Woody that the Bears had the worst offseason said because, and I think this is what really has got Bear fans kind of pissed off, is the fact that not only did he pick the Bears, but he picked a problem that he started essentially i mean it wasn't his maybe it was maybe it wasn't his call i don't know how much control over personnel he had during his time uh with the uh with the bears if he had any say or if he was the final vote or anything like that old veteran coaches like that maybe that's part of what they do but um he said that the bears haven't settled their kicker situation which is legitimate we haven't we still don't know who our kicker is going to be. We still don't even know if the kicker that we're going to have in 2019 is on our roster. However, that happened on John Fox's watch. Our problem with the kicker began with John Fox at the head coaching uh, spot. He's the one that cut Robbie Gold. He's the one that let him go. So, And while I agree with that move, I still, to this day, agree with us cutting uh, Robbie Gold at that time. In hindsight, maybe we should have weathered the storm. However, at the time, we could not rely on Robbie. He was missing field goals. He was shanking extra points. He was doing it at the end of the 2016, 20, yeah, 2015 season that ended up costing us some ball games that we should have won. And in the start of the preseason in 2016, he was picking up where he left off with the inconsistency, having very un-Robbie Gold-like uh, tendencies and so I was not surprised that the Bears cut him or at least I thought the move was justified on how Robbie finished 2015 and how he was starting 2016 and it turned out to be a good thing especially for Robbie Gold because he got the rejuvenation he goes to the Giants he's good with the Giants and he's been outstanding I think he's only missed like two kicks or something like that uh, with his in his time with the uh, with the 49ers so uh, what's going to happen with Robbie is still up in the air. He hasn't signed his franchise tender. He hasn't reported to OTA. So his uh, status with the 49ers is still up in the air. But this was something that was created by John Fox. And this is a guy who's saying that because we haven't settled the kicker situation, the Bears have had the worst offseason in the NFL uh, this year. Never mind the fact that uh, 
the the Texans and the Jets fired their general managers after the draft this year that uh you know other other teams making you know bad free agent moves and spending too much money on this guy or so on but it's the Bears a team that didn't have much to improve on they're piling on to the fact that we don't have a kicker a team with one of the most complete rosters in football didn't fix one problem so therefore they had the worst offseason worse than anybody else worse than Washington trading for Case Keenum worse than than the Giants drafting there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables Ooh, yum and how you get the most out of select can't miss events with access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Uh, Daniel Jones, worse than the, the Jets firing their general manager after the draft when, and what's going on with Houston, even with the draft that they had. They let Tyron Matthew get away. They reached for a tackle in the first round. And even, you know, he's such a project, they had to draft another tackle in the second round. So they wasted two picks on, on an offensive tackle uh, and everything else. So, but they had better off seasons than the Bears, according to Damian Woody and uh, John Fox. And no one's really piling on Damian Woody. Well, number one, because vic fangio is a legitimate reason for the bear that is a black eye on our off season there's nothing we could do about that vic went for the opportunity he's been waiting his whole career for but we did lose him that's uh that is a, a a big loss for the bears however we got pagano in his spot and you know we lost adrian amos and bryce callahan but we got buster scrine we got haha clinton Dix. we drafted uh duke shelley uh we drafted um uh sherman I think something like that. Some the, the seventh round pick. I'm forgetting his name, um, but you know we've got guys out there, and uh, we're we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be fine. Uh, like I said, we had one of the me- most complete rosters in the NFL. But according to John Fox, because we we don't know who our kicker is yet, um, that is him saying that we haven't addressed the position, even though we've brought in. We've done nothing but address the kicker position during the offseason. We're just not settled on who our kicker is. And therefore, because we haven't made a decision on who the kicker is, then we've had the worst offseason in the NFL. It literally does not make any sense uh, what he's saying. And then, like I said, the Bear fans, uh, including myself, was like, well, he's the one who cut the kicker that started all these problems. You know, we got rid of Robbie Gold. We went with Connor Barth. Connor Barth was a disaster. Uh, We thought we'd fix things with Cairo Santos, but... He suffered an injury, and we had to let him go. Mike Nugent comes in, and I actually liked Mike Nugent. I wanted the Bears to keep him, but instead they let him go. They signed Cody Parkey, and that was a disaster uh, as well. So we're still trying to figure out the kicker situation uh, three years after the problem was created, but the guy who created the problem 
is saying that because we still haven't fixed it, therefore we had the worst offseason. Not a bad offseason, the worst offseason. So fair so bear fans are, you know, not surprisingly a little annoyed with uh John Fox and 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 you know this this sly little stab uh at the the bears that he's taking here and uh you know the next thing you know he'll tell us that uh the bears are going to lose because of uh, Trubisky or something like that and uh and, and whatnot. The the guy is uh yeah, he's um just just go away. Just go away, John. We're we're good, you know. Don't talk about the uh, don't talk about the Bears. Uh, Bear fans don't like it, so just you know, I would just let it go for a while. Because here's the thing, and this was something that actually Lauren Cox brought up on Locked On Bears was that if you go back and you watch the clip, you'll see that as soon as John Fox starts talking, a graphic comes up that says John Fox picks the Bears, which means this was part of their pre-production meeting. This was something that they discussed before they went on air. This wasn't something that they were just flying off the cuff and giving uh, a random answer. This was something they discussed ahead of time. And Damian Woody's like, well, I'm going to go with the Bears. And John Fox, you know what? I'm going to go with the Bears too. And I'm, this is why I'm going to go with the Bears and, and so on and so forth. So this was something that was predetermined as far as they knew what they were going to say before they went out there and said it on the stage. So it wasn't like, uh, uh, you know, he was just going off of what Damian Woody said in, in in the segment there but like yeah i'm gonna actually go with the bears because they didn't get a kicker you know not only did they let fangio go they didn't get a kicker so that's why they had the worst off season it's nonsense it's absolutely nonsense the bears are one of the more stable teams the one of the most stable franchises out there in who our head coaches who our general manager is who our quarterback is who are uh you know are who our top players are who the leaders are so on and so forth we are stable from top to bottom right now if we had a kicker, no one would be talking about the Bears at the moment, you know, just or at least not in the regard of having a bad anything uh, in 2019. So take that for what you will. Uh, John Fox is still finding a way to dazzle and annoy uh, Bear fans, and uh, looks like he's going to continue that as long as he has a platform at the worldwide leader. So take that for what you will. John Fox, yeah, I don't like you, dude. I don't like you. So. Anyway, that's all we're going to do for, for news and notes uh, today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and talk about the, uh, the NFC East bottom dwellers in 2018, the New York Giants, and uh, Kurt Mackison from fansided.com and uh, G-Man HQ is going to join us right now to, uh, to talk about that team and, and help us preview the 2019 G-Men. And, and where is the needle pointing for the Giants? Is it still pointing down or is it slowly working its way up? Kurt will help us out. Part one of our journey through the NFC East has us uh, stopping over in the New York, New Jersey area, home of the New York Giants, and here to help us preview the 2019 Giants uh, from the G-Man HQ, it's uh, Kurt, oh man, I didn't ask you how to pronounce your name, uh, Mackison? That You got it. Nailed it! From G-Man <laughs> HQ on fansided.com. Kurt, thanks so much for joining us tonight, man. Hey, my pleasure. And uh, what we like to ask all of our new friends uh, on the show, uh, the same question is, A, where are you from? B, where are you now? Because that's almost never the same place. And then C, do you have a favorite memory as a fan of the G-Men? 
Okay. Well, I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey, so um, probably not too far from Giant Stadium, about 15 miles away. Okay. A place called Maplewood, New Jersey. Um, I still live in New Jersey, but a little further south, um, but still in the region. Sure. A uh, small village called Allentown, New Jersey, probably about 50 miles from Giant Stadium. So able to go up to uh, a number of games during the season and, uh, you know, see the Giants play. Um, and then if I if I edge my way a little south, I start to get into Eagles country. So ah. I am at the dividing line between uh, Giants and, and Eagles territory. Yeah. How does that does that does that uh, does that jibe at all when uh, when it comes time during the season as to which game you're going to get in your particular market? No. Uh, okay. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got the cable package that uh, has the New York station. So nice, uh, nice. yeah. So okay. we make sure of that. But I will tell you that I have one son who's a Giants fan and one son who is an Eagles fan of all. Oh, uh, and he's been to someone yeah. who was no longer in the house, right? That's how that works. <laughs> it, it, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, your favorite moment as a fan. Well, you, you, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, going back, because I've been a Giants fan for a long time, my original um, favorite moment was actually when Scott Norwood missed the field goal in Super Bowl twenty five, and the Giants won um, that Super Bowl because they did it with a backup quarterback, Jeff Hostetler. Right. Um, and everybody, everybody picked the Bills that year mm-hmm. um, to win the Super Bowl. And it was really a testament to Bill Parcells coaching and Lawrence Taylor, people like Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks, Bill Sims got hurt, but he led them to a great regular season. And of course, Jeff Hofstetler was a longtime backup for the Giants, and he had his you know moment of glory um, in that Super Bowl. And they had just a number of guys that just were likable guys. Otis Sanderson, um, Mark Ingram had a great catch. Mark Bavaro was on that team. Pepper Johnson, just a number of uh, Leonard Marshall, um, yeah. just a number of great guys that I uh, really enjoyed watching play. But I'm gonna give you one one A as well, and that was the Plaxico Burris catch in Super Bowl okay. 42. Nice to, to beat the undefeated New England Patriots. Uh, I, I could watch that play over and over again. Yeah, that was a pretty cool moment, considering how wide open he was at such a critical juncture. Uh, in the game basically all he had to do was not drop the ball that's where yeah. like he had made the right move to get himself open and Eli put it in just the right place to uh yeah. to make the catch all he had to do was not screw it up and uh, exactly yeah and and uh thankfully for you guys it uh it turned out just the right way and uh yeah. you know pulled off the the major upset there to win what 42 Super Bowl 42 Super Bowl 42 it was yeah. huge I mean people most people remember you know the the Chuck and Duck that Manning had down to sure. David Tyree. Yeah, the helmet catch. Um, but uh, yeah, but I I just remember that uh, sluggo route to, to Plaxico, and like you say, it was just so perfectly executed. I think is the real reason why it it you know sticks in my brain as um, one of the greatest Giants moments of all time. Sure, and Super Bowl twenty five for a long time was my favorite Super Bowl ever, aside from Super Bowl twenty, of course, but. Uh, you know the, the 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 Giants were the underdog, even though they had they had squashed the dynasty that was the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, and Leonard Marshall damn near killed Joe Montana uh, <laughs> yeah, in that absolutely. game. Um, but just everything about it, like you said, OJ Anderson, the story of uh, Hostetler being this uh, backup quarterback that seemingly just 
like like the Giants just picked up where Phil Simms left off, and then the the drama of the whole thing with uh, Scott Norwood missing the field goal. It was and it, and it's, to this day, it's still the closest margin of victory in a Super Bowl Super Bowl history, twenty to nineteen, being the final right. score there. And the other thing about it was when I watched like America's game uh, about that, and um, I don't know if it was Belichick himself that was talking or it was the players telling Belichick's story and and him having this wild theory that if we're going to win this game, Thurman Marsh Thurman uh, Thomas is going to have to rush yep. for over a hundred yards, and everyone on defense is like, "What? What are you talking about? We're not going to let that happen." when it would turn out to be a genius move and like rushing two and dropping nine to uh, offset the K gun offense that the, the bills had, you know, if you just play zone, he's got no one to throw it to let, let Thurman Thomas have his yards. And uh, you know, on the offense, they just wore the bills down these long, crazy drives. And that, that Mark Ingram catch you're talking about where he broke 41 tackles to get a first down there. um, You know? Yeah. Just overall, just a, uh, a great game. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, it was. A, it was a great game. And the other thing that the, that they did, and you're absolutely right about the the game plan was to to make sure that the Bills um, had to rely on the run more than the the pass. But they also made a concerted effort to hammer the Bills receivers any time yes. they, yeah. they caught a pass or didn't catch a pass. And uh, it was such a wonderful game plan. And not many people remember this, but there was at that time in that game. There was only one week uh, between the championship game and the Super Bowl. And I think that also helped the Giants um, in terms of game planning because Parcells and Belichick, uh, that that tandem were just masters at either halftime adjustments to shut a team down in the second half or game planning um, for teams. And and like you mentioned, they also had a a very physical offensive line that -hmm. could, you know, will itself – um, offensively on a number of teams, but it, that was just such a uh, a great game overall. I mean, you know, it was unfortunate the Bills lost four Super Bowls in a row because they were a very good team in their own right. Yeah. Um, but uh, y- you know, to me, that was one of the greatest, uh, probably top five Super Bowls I've ever seen. Sure. Not to mention in the the era that the game took place in was uh, a time that the Super Bowl was pretty much a joke. Where it, and it was at the time where the NFC had won like eighteen Super Bowls in a row, and pretty much, including the Giants who had won Super Bowl twenty one huge over the Broncos. The right. Super Bowl was the mat, was usually over by halftime. The the, yeah. the 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 NFC champion was usually up by like three touchdowns, maybe four at halftime, and it was the second half was just a matter of finishing things out. And this game, as we were talking about exceptions to the rule before. Uh, this was the exception to the rule and the fact that it was competitive, coming down to the wire, had a dramatic finish. And I think that is what made it so memorable was that it just was so rare at that time in the NFL. Yeah, very true. Um, because you're right, at that time, uh, in a lot of cases, winning the uh, NFC Championship was tantamount to winning the, you know, the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, you know, what the Bears did to the – you know, to the Patriots and Giants, to the Broncos, and what the 49ers did to the Broncos as yeah, well. that one was sad. <laughs> that was a sad, yeah, sad so, contest, man. Yep. So um, so now that we've had this trip down memory lane, uh, let's bring it to the to the present. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry about this, but um, 
You know, the Giants uh, had a rough year uh, last year. Uh, unfortunately for me, one of your few bright shining spots was against the Bears in the Meadowlands uh, last year, where out of nowhere, the Bears coming into town on a five-game losing streak drop a game to the 3-8 and eight Giants. Were you at that game? I did not go to that game. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was funny because I had done – a uh, a podcast with our uh, sister site over there, the Bear uh, Bears Goggles. Sure. And I'm like, there's no way the Giants <laughs> are going to win this game. And I and just looking at it, it was like, uh, you, you know, the the Bears had had a very solid season, and the Giants had anything but a solid season. But it was also, uh, I think, mentally, it came out of nowhere that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see if they were playing games close and, um, you, you know, we're just ending up on the wrong end of the score. But you guys were so schizophrenic last year. You didn't know what team was going to show up. And, of course, um, you know, after, uh, you know, they they went through the trade deadline and got rid of, you know, some players there, too, that they really weakened um, uh, already – you know, inferior defense. And so I just thought that there was no way that, uh, you know, that they were going to be able to win the game. And plus, um, you know, there was no Odell Beckham in that game as well. So He was in the game. Odell threw yeah, a touchdown he, pass in that game. Oh, oh you're right. Um, you're right. Yeah, so, I mean, that was uh, – I mean, that game was, was – uh, well, you know, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the Giants uh, in that matchup. The Bears just came out uh, flat uh, in that one. They they had a a ten day break, and and the one thing that Matt Nagy couldn't seem to figure out last year was how to get the team ready after a a bye week. We we had our bye week week four. We come out flat against the Fort, uh, excuse me the Dolphins and lose that game in overtime. Then we had our mini bye after our Thanksgiving game against the Giants. We come out flat. First first or second play on offense, Chase Daniel throws one of the more improbable interceptions I've ever seen, and I think it was Ogletree that ran it in for a touchdown. It and was. Yeah, we're like 30 seconds Ogletree. into the game. We're down 7 to nothing already. I'm like, what the hell happened? So, you know, and just the, the, the their overall weirdness of that game, uh, uh, Odell throwing a touchdown pass on, a, on, a, right, 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 on right. the sweep, yeah. and then uh, for like a two-point conversion at one point in the game, the Bears send an all-out blitz. They absolutely murder Eli, who just gets it off and throws it to a wide-open Odell, who, like we talked about with Plastico Burris, all he has to do is not drop it. That's how wide open he is and how you know how uh, vulnerable the Bears were on that particular blitz. And, of course, he's wide open. He makes the catch. It's the two-pointer. And at that point, it looked like the Bears were done. We fought our way back into overtime, but it was the Saquon Barkley show in overtime. You guys put us away. So, you know, it just seemed like the Bears were kind of snake bit in that one, and everything that could go the Giants' way in that one did. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because the Giants have been so, to use your term, snake bitten in terms of playing the Eagles the same way. Like mm. what can go wrong will go wrong. Sure. Um, for, for the Giants that the little bit of serendipity, you know, and, and you're looking at it that, you, you know, you don't play the Giants every year, but 
the little bit of serendipity that the Giants got in that game was like totally reversed throughout much of the season. Um, you know, the and over the past few years, uh, especially when the Giants have been playing the Eagles, it's like anything that can go wrong, uh, would go wrong or will go wrong. Um, you know, the Giants had a big lead against the Eagles. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, about now, that. You guys had yeah, a big like nine, yeah, nineteen to nothing yeah. at one point. Yeah, and and then just everything you know went wrong, which is why. You know, when I was thinking about the Bears coming in, having so much to play for, and really at that point the Giants not having a lot to play for, that even though, um, you know, Chase Daniel was in a quarterback, that they would have enough, um, you know, to get by. But I do think that the Ogletree interception um, pretty much, you know, set the pace for that game. Right. And that, um, you know, and – the the weather wasn't great, and having Saquon Barkley certainly, um, you know, in overtime, um, you know, did help out. But the, you know, the Bears also did come back sure. late in that game because the Giants' defense, um, you know, was and has been over the course of the last couple of years, not been what we've been used to in New York, and that's always been, you know, the Giants' calling card is this right. stout defense and. It just hasn't happened, and especially a non-existent pass rush, um, you know, over the course of the past couple of years at least. And that's something that's not, you know, it's atypical for the Giants to to not have a, you know, solid, um, you know, pass rush. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens again this year because I think that will be a weakness as well. But I'm sure we'll get into that. Sure. So to finish up the year, was it – Five and eleven, something like that. Four and twelve, something. What was the the, the Giants? Were they six and ten? They were no. They were five and eleven. Five and eleven. That's right. Yep. And uh, head into the uh, off season, and uh, you mentioned they'd made some trades in the during the season where they looked like they were having a fire sale. Uh, at one point, the Snacks Harrison joins my division out here in the north to play with the. The Lions and uh, you know it just like the the Giants were sellers at, at the trade deadline uh, last year, and um, we go into the off season. Then all of a sudden, you're you're buyers and sellers at the same time. You trade away Odell uh, Beckham one year after signing him to a ninety five million dollar contract extension. You sell him for a first and a third rounder and uh, Jabril Peppers. So you get Jabril Peppers and two draft picks in return. Thoughts and feelings on the Odell trade because I did not hear good things when that happened. Yeah, I mean there was always a tenuous relationship between Obeka, uh, Odell Beckham and the team. Sure. And so I think, and, and that existed prior to Dave Gettleman getting on board. You know that existed when Jerry Reese was still general manager, and. Um, you know, Gettleman consistently said we did not sign Odell to trade him. And yeah. at face value, I do believe him in that situation. But I just think it, it became – it got to a point where the Giants are a very conservative organization, probably much like the Bears in that way. And, that, and you know, old school, I mean, the Mariners um, still own the team, even though it's, you know, half ownership, but they still own the team. So they're the founders. Sure. And – um 
You know, I, I just think that Beckham did not fit their model, um, even though he was an elite talent. And, um, I, and I question moving forward, like how great he's actually going to be. You know, if you or I are on this, you know, podcast 10 years from now, what are we going to be saying about Odell Beckham? You know, are we going to be comparing him to, I don't know, Jerry Rice, um, Calvin Johnson, um, Michael Irvin, you know, or are we going to compare him to, to other players who didn't, um, you know, had a boatload of talent, but never quite could get over that hump where they're known as uh, winners or championship players. Um, yeah. And I think the, the Beckham, the Beckham story is to be written. I don't think that, that, that those folks who, who cast aspersions about his talent um, are being truthful, you know, or, intellectually honest about it because he he's most one of the most talented players i've ever seen um Mm -hmm. in the nfl now does that translate into you know being that guy who can take a team um you know over the top or is going to be relied upon um in clutch moments i don't know i mean the one playoff game that he did play for the giants against the green bay packers um dropped the touchdown pass, and he was virtually non-existent. So this is a, a TBD, and I'm interested, interested to see, you know, with Cleveland and up-and-coming franchise, how well that Odell um, performs and um, now shares the uh, limelight with his uh, good buddy, you know, Jarvis Landry over there. So it's a story to be, be written. I think the Giants did what they had to in a full-blown rebuild you know, that $95 million extension would weigh heavily, you know, on the Giants in terms of rebuild. And I also think the philosophy of Dave Gettleman is to is a throwback. So let's, let's look at things honestly. You know, you don't draft Saquon Barkley to, to play second fiddle to anybody on the offense. Right. You know, so the Giants are playing a little bit of, hey, let's go back to the future here and uh, let's have this solid running attack with this bell cow running back and then you know we'll have a control more of a controlled passing game you know rather than um you know having to get beckham his 10 to 15 targets per game right so odell is off into uh cleveland you get a rich you get some riches of uh draft choices there you also made another trade with cleveland sending olivier vernian uh to uh the browns uh as well when you guys first signed him if I'm not mistaken, he was pretty much a beast for you, at least in the first year, but has kind of trailed off ever since then. Yeah, he dealt with some injuries. He had a high ankle sprain for the most part last year, and I think it really affected um, you know, his production. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think it was a good deal for the Giants, giving uh, Kevin Zeitler to now fill in a guard. Um, I think he's a solid, solid player. They're putting him at a position, you know, when the Giants were effective, you, you know, even Super Bowl 25, 42, um, you know, even Super Bowl 46, they, they always had a very solid offensive line. And that's something that's escaped them over the past several years. And I think getting uh, Kevin Zeitler certainly solidifies the offensive line. And I, I think that's going to be an area of big improvement this year. Right, you you got him straight up in the trade with for Vernon uh, to replace Jamon Brown, who left to go to the Falcons. 
Uh, you sign Antoine Bethay to replace Landon Collins, who left for yes. the Redskins, so you get to face him twice a year. That'll be fun. And uh, Well, the Bears are in the same boat. We let uh, Adrian Amos leave via free agency. He went to Green Bay. So we get to play him week one on national TV uh, when the Bears post the Packers on, uh, on opening night there. Uh, so we're in a similar situation there. Uh, you sign an extension with Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate is signed away from the Eagles, so there's your new passing game there. And then you sign Mike Remmers away from the Vikings to play tackle. Is he going to be a starter for you guys? Yeah, all indications he's going to be the starter at right tackle, um, and slotting Zeitler at right guard. Um, there, there'll be a bit of a competition at the center this year. Um, they have John Halapio coming back. Um, Spencer Pulley also, you know, played um, some center for them last year. Um, Second-year man Will Hernandez, left guard, and then left tackle is Nate Solder. So okay. I think the unit would be much, 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 much better. Uh, from the equation, um, probably we could flip the corner. Eric Flowers or Eli Apple was the worst pick in the receiver, but uh, neither of them for Hunter ever turned out to be anything close to, to what was expected. Right. So we move on to uh, draft night, and this is something that I'm very interested to hear about. Um, you guys had th- uh, you well, you had two going into the draft. You ended up making a deal at the end of the first round to get a third, so you end up with three first round picks but i'm sure you know which one i want to talk about and that would be your first pick at number six where the giants didn't really surprise anyone by taking a quarterback but it's the quarterback that they chose and when they chose him and that being daniel jones the quarterback from duke were you amongst the uh the congregation of fans who were basically spewing hellfire and brimstone after he was selected you know, I, I like I like Daniel Jones, and I liked him pre-draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was not of the mindset that that they were going to select him at number six, right? Um, which I think is a tremendously, you know, gutsy move. Um, but I like I liked him. He he. If you look at his film, he's he's accurate. He, the the Duke Blue Devils dropped the most passes in um, college football last year. Huh. So you have to take that into consideration when looking at Jones's stats. The other thing that I think he gives them is uh, something that hasn't been there in the last 15 years during the Manning year, and that's mobility at the position, which I think is so critical now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have high hopes. I, in, in all honesty, my opinion would have been this, and, and I'm interested to see how it plays out. And I guess thankfully for Dave Gettleman, Josh Allen is now in Jacksonville, and so that's probably as far away, you know, from New York as you're going to get um, from, from an NFL standpoint. Sure. So he's not going to be, um, you know, he's not going to be playing them, as we mentioned, twice a year like Landon Collins would be. Um, but I just think with their pass rushing woes, and I mean, except for the Oakland Raiders, the Giants were next to last um, in sacks in the NFL. So I, I just look at, at – bypassing Josh Allen from Kentucky in that situation. Because uh, I thought he was, I really thought he was a consensus top three pick. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's the only thing that concerns me 
there. Could they have gotten Jones? I mean, that became the story. Could they have gotten Jones later on, um, say, with that number 17 pick? You know, there are schools thought out there. I kind of think they could have, uh, honestly. And um, in all honesty, I'm not thrilled with the Dexter Lawrence pick at 17 either because how many space eaters do you need in the middle given the fact that they have the Giants have Dalvin Tomlinson and they have B.J. Hill there already. So um, uh, so I wasn't going crazy over the Jones pick like some people because I do like – I actually do like his skill set. Um, but at number six, I have some questions about that. But, hey, listen, at the end of the day, if the guy turns into a franchise quarterback, nobody's going to remember any of this. Right. But if and, he turns into a bust, everybody will remember it. So it is, yeah. it's a monumental gamble on the part of Dave Gettleman. No ifs, ands, or buts. Um, and uh, but I don't, I don't think it's a given that that you know that that Jones is going to stink. And I, you know, I look at some point now he's they're going to transition from Manning to Jones this year. Is is my prediction? Okay. When that happens, and he's a bright guy. Um, it's going to be similar to the situation they had when Kurt Warner was on the Giants and they transitioned to Eli Manning. Hmm. And I think it's going to play out about the same way. Giants uh, did it, I think, in week 11 when they transitioned from Kurt Warner to Eli Manning. I look at something similar um, happening this year. Uh, It's Manning's last year, and... um, you know, I, I think the only benefit or one of the only benefits you have in taking a quarterback um, in the first round is you get that player at a steep discount for five years. Now, you look right. at what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. Um, you know, you get those first five years at a steep discount. You know, Manning's making $23 million, you know, this year. Once that comes off the books, they certainly can use that, that money in other areas. So, right. um uh, you know, I think I think this is the year for the transition, and um, probably Eli's you know swan song here in New York. So, in in my estimation, you know, for, from what I was learning watching the various unhappy YouTube videos of Giants fans <laughs> when those when that selection came about, uh, some people not so much worried uh, or concerned with who they did pick, but more so who with who they didn't, you know, and a lot of people, Giants fans wanted Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. If you're going to take a quarterback, yeah. take him, not Daniel Jones. Uh, that would be the better way to go. And then not only did they not take uh, Haskins, but he landed in division with the Redskins as <laughs> yeah. well. So this could be a mistake that comes back to hurt you twice a year for the duration of their careers. And their their careers will be compared uh, to one another, especially when they go head-to-head. Yeah, um, very true. And uh, let's also not forget that uh, the MetLife co-tenant has one Sam Darno. Um, right was available for the giants the previous yeah. year so there's that uh, as well <laughs> yeah so yeah there there are a lot of storylines to cover with this i was not as high on haskins haskins has a strong arm but i believe that this era in the nfl requires a mobile quarterback and and that's not to say a running quarterback but a mobile quarterback and and that is not haskins strong suit 
And uh, so I'll be interested to see how well he does. My guess is, you know, Alex Smith is not playing this year. Um, Colt McCoy is coming off, um, you know, an injury, you know, as well. That's going to be a wide-open competition, um, you know, in Washington. It uh, wouldn't surprise me to see Haskins come out and, and be the starter week one. Right. Um, so I'll be interested to see how well he does. But, hey, hey listen, I you know, I looked at a lot of film, obviously, on the quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, – I, you know, backtracking, uh, I might have taken Darno last year um, just based on, you know, what I saw on film. Sure. Um, I was not 100% sold on Haskins, so I wasn't surprised. You know, obviously surprised that they they took Jones so early. I, I thought they probably could get Jones, and I, I thought they did like him. I, I thought they could get him in the back half of the first round, uh, 20 and beyond. Um, the other guys that were available, like a Drew Locke, um, he just – was too unfinished for my liking mm-hmm. um, to turn the franchise over to him. I actually think J- Jones is, um, you know, more of a finished product, um, you know, than somebody like uh, Drew Locke, you know, out there. So, Sure. So uh, you mentioned that um, you weren't exactly thrilled at 17 with Dexter Lawrence. That seemed like a redundant pick. Uh, to you for what you had and, and who you ended up taking there with uh, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. And uh, on draft night, it did seem like, you know, the the, the experts, uh, quote-unquote experts, were kind of baffled. Not that the Giants took him at took him, took him Daniel Jones, but they took him at six. Uh, they had the similar opinion to yours about Dexter Lawrence being taken at 17, but they all seemed to like DeAndre Baker out of Georgia with the third and final uh, draft choice in the first round there at number 30. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and even through, you know, rookie minicamp uh, and OTAs, the reports have been glowing about him. And I actually think that the strong suit in the Giants defense next year will be the, the secondary. Um, mm. You mentioned Don, uh, Antoine Bethea. I, I think he's going to be a solid veteran presence. Um, for the life of me, I can't understand six years and $84 million for Landon Collins. Um, yeah. I liked him as a player, but he's an in-the-box safety. Um, all you have to do is throw film up uh, against the Giants against the 49ers and watch George Kittle take him to school, take Landon Collins to school, mm-hmm. and understand that, that you know, he's, you know he's, he's not Earl Thomas. I'm sorry. Right. Um, you know, and I think half of that is, you know, the – the Giants and Redskins rivalry took on added meaning when, um, you know, John Mara, part of the competition committee, penalized the Redskins and Cowboys for their uh, transgressions with the cap a number of years ago. Sure. So I think any time that Dan Snyder has an opportunity to stick it to, you know, to, to the Giants and, and Mara by extension, he's going to do it. And I think there might have been that some of that involved, uh, you know, because of Landon Collins was definitely a fan favorite around here. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I just think the overall skill set. Hey, listen, um, you know, I like um, I like your, your guy, Adrian Amos. I like uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. You know, I could put them all in the same. I liked uh, Tyron Matthew. Um, sure. 
I could put them all in the you know same bucket, and I would think that they would all get contracts, similar contracts, and just to see Collins come out with this monster, you know, six-year, eighty-four million dollar deal. I mean, you know, average annual value, um, you know, Honey Badger is getting about the same amount, but Collins has that term, that six-year term, eighty-four million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of cash. Yeah, uh, Matthew is averaging about fourteen million, but I think he's only got a three-year deal in Kansas City as he's opposed to six years. Year. Yeah. yeah, six years for Landon Collins in Washington because we all know that uh, Daniel Snyder just hates writing big checks. Uh, you know, it's not like he's <laughs> done it over and over again the entire tenure as owner yeah. of the of the team. And you know that one stretch that he went on with, you know, trying to re-sign, trying to go back to the future again by re-signing over-the-hill guys like Bruce Smith and Deion Sanders to monster deals to get them to try to have, like, one last bit of twilight in a Redskins uh, uniform. Well, and then, of course, you're forgetting the, the, the uh, great Albert Hainsworth. Yeah. yeah, Albert Hainsworth, Hainsworth yep. <laughs> the first $100 million player, and if, that guy wasn't worth a dime uh, nope. when he was in Washington. So, yeah, yep. that was a disaster. And, you know, Snyder's not afraid to put the money out there. He was the first one to step ahead when Josh Norman became available um, when the Panthers finally removed the franchise tag. And the guy didn't even have to have lunch with another team. He already had a $75 million deal with the, the Redskins. The guy is not shy with his pocketbook, that's for sure. So yeah. um, Landon Collins getting a deal like that is, uh, you know, for Snyder it's just money apparently because he has no problems throwing it around. Yeah, and like I said, there's only so much um, – value you can put on leadership you know people are like oh he's a defensive leader he was there's no question he was a solid locker room presence but to me at the end of the day it is mostly about production and um you know i just i just don't see it uh but uh you know once again time will tell maybe it's be on his podcast seven years from now and we'll be saying <laughs> you know that contract was really worth it <laughs> In which case, I'll say, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, of course. You know, we were geniuses. <laughs> we, we saw, you know. Yeah. So uh, uh, the rest of the draft, day two, day three, uh, the Giants uh, take uh, take a couple of more corners. Uh, Julian Love in the fourth round. Uh, Corey Ballantyne in the sixth round. You got a linebacker out of Wisconsin there. Another receiver in Darius Slayton. Well, I don't know why that name sounds familiar to me. Uh, out of <laughs> Auburn. I uh, got an offensive tackle and another defensive tackle in the seventh round out of Kentucky and Syracuse, respectively. Um, what can you say about the rest of the uh, the draft class there? Well, Ballantyne, you know, as as you know, Ballantyne um, did get shot, you know, the night after the draft. Of, oh, he uh, was the one. Okay, yeah. yeah okay. Yes. But um, comes from Division Two Washburn, um, right. which is in Kansas. And uh, just just looking, and he was invited to the combine. And just looking at, you, you know, um, his skill set, man, the guy is very athletic. Um, so I hope he recovers, so he can recovers completely, so um, we can see really what he has. But I think he's an interesting, interesting, you know, prospect. I'm not that that high on love. I think um, sometimes Notre Dame players get overvalued. And I think yeah. that Love is a, a very intelligent player, but I think intelligence only gets you so far in the NFL if you don't have the skill set. Sure. And watch just watching a lot of his film, he was in the right. No doubt, he's in the right places. Um, 
but I worry about um, strong physical wide receivers at the NFL level who will now take advantage um, of his uh, more limited, you know, skill set. You know, so we'll you know we'll see down the line. Um, Baker, I think, might be um, the starter opposite Janoris Jenkins week one um, at the cornerback position. He's apparently um, plays bigger than his size, so he's a very physical corner, which I think is great in the NFC East. Yeah. And um, they also have a supplemental pick from last year, uh, injured his shoulder, a guy named Sam Beal. And uh, so he might end up at the slot. I think they're, they're talking about him or Ballantyne or Love ending up at the, you know, the nickel spot. And then um, obviously one of the other guys – um, if they go into a dime package, um, I, and and even sticking with the secondary, I'm excited to see how um, you know Peppers does. Um, oh right, you know, yeah. He's a local, yeah, yeah he's a local guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's a local guy um, at a Paramus Catholic. It's not too far from Giant Stadium. Um, you know, obviously went to University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's very uh, athletic, and I think he will help. Um, also in the return game um, for yeah. the Giants on punt returns. So I, I am excited about that, um, you know, part, that aspect of the Odell Beckham trade for sure, um, I think is going to pay some dividends. Um, so we'll see. So, you know, those guys, you know, Bethea essentially is is uh, replacing Landon Collins. Peppers um, has a little bit of easier course because he's just replacing Curtis Riley, who was a real – you know, bust for the Giants last year. Hmm. Um, in the last game of the you know regular season against the Cowboys, he, it looked like he purposely whiffed on a tackle against uh, Blake Jarwin, hmm. uh, and people were calling it a business decision. So, in other words, he didn't want to get <laughs> run over by. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so I, I do think the back end of the the defense is going to be much improved. Yeah, it sounds um, promising. And, and, yeah, I mean, in terms of linebackers, uh, it's, um, you know, to be determined, um, you know, how well that, uh, you know, those guys perform. But, you know, I, I just don't see improvement in the pass rush. I just don't see it. Um, you know, if they slot in Dexter Lawrence uh, to basically replace Damon Harrison, so he becomes the run stuffer. But, um you know, then who are your pass rushers? They're depending a lot on Lorenzo Carter, who's a second-year man from Georgia, outside linebacker, sure, um, to be their pass rush. And we'll we'll see. It's a lot to put on to a second-year player, um, but uh, that's what their hope is. You know, at this point, is that uh, he's going to take a monumental leap forward and provide a solid pass rush. You know, for the Giants, they also have veteran Kareem Martin, who, in my opinion, was a big disappointment. Um, a lot has been made of James Betcher and coming over from Arizona, the Cardinals, and the, you know implementing his defense with the Giants. Um, yeah. I know he didn't have a whole lot to work with, but um, you, you know it, it. You know, in a lot of games, I wasn't I wasn't blown over by the game plan, game planning here. So uh, I'm interested to see how Betcher does this season with a few more, um, you know, NFL parts. Uh, you know, as disposal. So speaking of uh, coaches, um, how are you with uh, with Pat Shermer at the moment? Because to be honest with you, 
when the 2017 season ended and it was time for the Bears to start looking for uh, a new coach, Matt Nagy was at the bottom of the list of candidates that the Bears were rumored to be talking to. And I was grateful because the last couple of times that we've had uh, a coaching vacancy to fill, we've never interviewed or hired the guy that I liked. And Pat Shermer was interviewed. He was the person that I liked because he took the polished herd that was Sam Bradford and made him into a, a you know a, a, a an NFL you know level quarterback and you know was leading the uh, the Vikings to a playoff team and, and all that kind of stuff imagine what he could do with someone who was naturally talented like Trubisky and you know he was somebody that I was really hoping the Bears would latch on to now it turns out the Bears made the right choice with with Nagy but Shermer lands in 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 New York with the Giants how are you feeling with with Shermer after the first two with after the first year? After the first year, yeah, I I put a big um, TBD on Pat Shermer. Um, okay, I like him. <laughs> I like a lot of the things that he says, except um, I, I what still sticks in my craw is the win loss record last year. Um, sure. And you know, I think for NFL coaches, the proof is in the pudding, and I didn't see. I really didn't see a leap forward um, anywhere in the operation, and that's not to say that that there weren't you know voids on the roster that needed to be filled because there certainly was. And mm-hmm. I think he's dealing with a much better hand this year, even without you know Beckham, let's say. Sure. But I didn't see any part of the operation that I said, "Ooh, there you know, there's some vast improvement there." Pass rush was tepid. Um, secondary was, you know. Um, you know the offensive line wasn't good. You know we were promised that that uh, originally that uh, you know that shifting Eric Flowers to the right side was going to be the answer, and that didn't prove. I mean, you know Eric Flowers was just a, a bust draft pick. You know, yeah, um, probably a top ten guy too, right? Absolutely, yeah, uh, number nine, right? And um, you know he, he's he, he overdrafted. I mean, very simply, you know the interesting thing. Um, you, you know, when you do your research and you check out, you know, what the scouts say, and I look at multiple sources, um, you know, when I'm looking at players, and I also try to look at a lot of video on, on YouTube about these guys, the, the, the whole flower situation was telegraphed, um, you know, and it, it was like you took a, a round peg and you're trying to put it in a square um, hole and it just you know just didn't work and they said there was going to be problem with with footwork and it was problem with footwork you know um, and so it just makes you scratch your head saying you know sometimes these these NFL scouts and coaches think that they can work magic when these guys yeah. are players and um, you, you know you 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 know you accentuate their positive aspects and you try to minimize whatever. Um, you know, areas of weakness that they have. Uh, but, you know, when the areas of weakness are so stark, you, you know, sometimes it makes you wonder what, why a guy is drafted at nine when there are, you know, really tangible weaknesses they have in their game. Yeah. Um, and that was the same thing with, uh, you know, Eli Apple, too. Um, you know, because you can only project, to me, you can only project so much. So if I'm going out to draft, and that's, I know we're coming full circle on this, but it's kind of why I like I do like Daniel Jones because 
I think there's a certain amount of projection in his game. Okay. Um, but I also think if you look at the film, there was a lot of good stuff that I saw on film that he did with a le- less than stellar receiving cast um, and offensive line down there at Duke. So I see some projection there, but I also saw um, some really solid play at the college level, um, you know, with him. And, and to me, that's the union you want to get is a solid college player that can project um, even better at the next level. But, uh, you know, the Giants have done that a few times where they've taken college players high and and they just don't project well to the NFL. And it, there was no secret that guys like Apple and Flowers really had weaknesses to their game and were overdrafted, you know, ifs, ands, or buts. Right. But, you know, in one case, you know, they were caught flat-footed by – you know, the Bears jumping ahead of them and getting Leonard Floyd. I was going to so say that, that, yeah. Yep. You know, so that's that's how that happened. So it kind of spoke to um, Jerry Reese's lack of planning. They were having a plan B, um, you know, when that situation occurred. Um, Jerry Reese didn't make any trades, and that's the one thing that Gettleman has brought to the Giants. He's willing to wheel and deal, um, you know, but uh, – you know, whiffing on those draft picks does set the program back a number of years when you're yeah. doing, doing two years in a row. So there's no getting around that. So, uh, you know, I mean, Shermer will have a better team this year, and I think it'll be a better indication um, of how good he can be as a head coach. But to me, the jury is still out. I'm not here going to say to you, yeah, Shermer, in five years, we're going to be talking about him as the next Bill Parcells. I'm not convinced yet. Sure. I mean, well, I mean, you, you you talk about the situation that he walked in on, and then after a slow start last year, the Giants start selling off pieces to the team uh, as well. It is kind of hard to judge a coach's effectiveness when he didn't have the best hand to begin with, and then you start taking away his cards midway through the game, uh, kind of thing. So it's you know, I, I would agree with you that it's probably a little early to talk about the the legacy that will be Pat Shermer's time. Uh, with the Giants, but uh, it can that can only be the case for so long. So um, absolutely, absolutely, and but I think I think those guys are tied together. Those guys being Gettleman and um, you know Pat Shermer. So sure. to the extent that uh, you know one or the other is uh, is going to fail, that I think it uh, brings them both down. To be honest with you. Yeah, and you mentioned you know having the back-to-back first-round busts was how detrimental that can be to a team's future. I mean, well, you're talking to a guy who witnessed it as well. After the Bears went to the Super Bowl in 2006, uh, losing to the Colts that year, 2007, our first-round pick was Greg Olson, and then followed by a bunch of guys that basically never had anything resembling an NFL career. Uh, our second and third-round picks didn't even make the team. And then we did pretty much the same thing again. In 2008, our first-round pick was a bust. Our second-rounder was Matt Forte, so that worked out. And then right. going forward from there, 2009-2010, uh, we had no first-round picks because of the Jay Cutler trade. Our first pick in both drafts was a third-round pick that became nothing on on both sides. So that's four drafts right there where basically had close to zero return on our draft picks, and then the Greg Olson, we traded him away practically for no reason, and he becomes right. an all-pro in Carolina and has the career that we were hoping he would have uh, in Chicago. So it's 
and that's what ended up sinking Jerry Angelo in his time in Chicago was that the guy could bring bring people in. He signed Julius Peppers and uh, and everything. He was he wasn't adverse to getting people to come to Chicago, but he couldn't draft to save his life, or at least from 2007 until his time ended in in 2011. He strung together five five drafts that netted the Bears close to nothing. So um, when it does that, it can really really hurt a team and set them back for a much longer than you would think. Yeah, and and I think you also mentioned something that's key and and was a real Achilles heel under Jerry Reese, and that was you know, these third and fourth round picks that are that are to me important roster fillers in that oh, yeah. hey, once in a while you'll you'll catch lucky and, and you'll you'll draft an all all pro in that situation. Okay. Sure. That's yeah. But at the end of the day, these guys have to be, you know, rotational players. Um, you know, in, in some cases, you know, nickel defensive backs, you know, that's where, you're, or, or uh, you know, you can also find a diamond in the rough along the offensive line, mm-hmm. you know, with those selections. And, and Jerry Reese used to just gamble on, you know, guys like uh, one notable was Demontre Moore, who they go, oh, first round talent. Yeah. Uh, Owa, uh, Digizua, they drafted. And um, I just remember Reese saying, you know, he, you know, he, something about, um, you know, his physical attributes. So, you know, the guy was, was, was cut and he was a, a physical beast, but he wasn't a good football player. So, looks like, uh, uh, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Exactly. A hundred percent. And, um, uh, you know that that had a cumulative effect as well. So the sure. idea that um, you know Reese's claim to fame was you know getting Beckham after you know a bunch of teams passed on him, but that only take you so far. Right. I mean, and, and you mentioned those those mid round picks. That's actually something that that Ryan Pace, our current GM, has excelled at in his first several years in Chicago. Jordan Howard, who we just traded away to the uh, Eagles was a fifth-round pick for us. He was a beast. Tariq Cohen, one of the more <laughs> exciting players in the league right now, fourth-round draft choice. One of our starting defensive tackles, Bilal Nichols, fifth-round pick last year. So this is a guy that's making day three count for the Bears. Yep. And if you're missing on all those picks, I mean, those are going to be developmental guys. Maybe they end up being special teams players until they can earn a spot on the roster. But like you said, they have to contribute somehow. Like we have a have safety to. on our team uh deandre houston carson the guy's never been more than a special teams player but he's been a good special teams player and that's why the bears brought him back this year so i mean that's a somewhat decent return for a sixth round pick because not all six round picks can be tom brady yeah yeah so yeah, not many are going to be tom brady but yeah that's and and uh, the, the other thing too is um uh, your undrafted free agents as yeah. well, um, yeah. in terms of bringing those, you know, some of those guys in. If you can get one or two that are going to end up making your roster, um, it makes that draft all that much better. Um, so I think, uh, you know, in total, it, it's just going to be interesting because this draft, even though I think on balance was a very solid draft for the Giants, mm-hmm. nobody's going to remember anything except how well, to the extent how well Daniel Jones does, you sure. know, uh, yeah. as you know, as quarterback, but I think, I think it was a solid effort for, you know, for Gettleman, um, you know, getting some, you know, some of these guys, but, um, you know, we'll see, uh, down the line, 
you know, what happens with Daniel Jones, and that's how that, – that'll be Gettleman's legacy. I mean, he's 67 years old, so, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that he's going to be – you know, we've got a 10-year plan <laughs> in existence. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, to, to get to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, this will pretty much be – you know, seal his legacy. Um, and I think they're probably grooming – you know, Giants hate change, and I think they're probably grooming uh, assistant general manager Kevin Abrams to – to take over, um, you know, after Gettleman departs. All right. So we look ahead to uh, 2019, and um, we'll we'll dabble on the schedule just a bit. But um, I mean, aside from the fact that surprise, surprise, week one is the Cowboys for the Giants. I mean, that happens almost always. So, yes. you know, last year being the exception, you had to play in Dallas week two. Uh, in last year's schedule, but you almost always start with the Cowboys week one, almost usually on Sunday Night Football as well, so you start with them again uh, this year. And then the other game of concern for us Bear fans is that you come to Soldier Field week 12 after uh, the bye. So we'll see how that works out, uh, where those teams at are at that point in the year. But as we look at 2019, you know, we, we've touched upon the, the Daniel Jones story you know, you think he's going to take over at some point during the season, and if it's where you're thinking it is, then maybe Week 12 against Chicago will be the first time we see Daniel Jones as a starter. You got the bye week ahead of it, and and all that kind of stuff. So, depending on where you guys are at that point in the season, that might be a good spot for Jones to make his first start. We wouldn't recommend it against the Bears in Chicago, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but you know, what other storylines looking into 2019 uh, should we keep an eye on? I think um, I think there are a couple things um, that I have an eye on. One is going to be offensively, um, w- without the specter of you know overwhelming specter of Odell Beckham, um, mm-hmm. that I don't want to say cloud over the offense, but he was just such an overwhelming presence. That um, I'm interested to see. First of all, they extended Sterling Shepard, right? Um, signed Golden Tate, so Tate is now going to take Shepard's spot in the slot, hypothetically. Shepard's going to shift to the outside. Um, he does have a solid skill set. How's that transition going to go? I think that's going to be a big key for the Giants. So if Shepard can move in there, you know, into that position seamlessly, he's not going to have Beckham-like stats, um, quite frankly, because he isn't as talented as Beckham, but he is talented in his own right. So that's one storyline for me. Second storyline is um, – offensively is Evan Ingram tight end. Uh, mm. We've heard about how this guy is going to create mismatches. Um, ran a four, four, two 40 yard dash at his NFL scouting combine. So we know he's got a, you know, high skill set. The only problem is, you know, how solid is he as a tight end as a, a functional three down tight end? Mm-hmm. Um, or can they get him, you know, enough touches in the passing game? where he is now effective, you know, say in the slot as well. Um, I, I think that's where Shermer is going to have to prove to me he's that offensive genius is let's take a look at Evan Ingram's statistics after this year and see if we can get him more touches since Beckham's not around um, and what that translates into. Um, Ingram has had problems dropping the ball too, so uh, – We'll see. I mean, now it's time for him to step up um, and show that he's worthy of that being that first-round uh, selection, 
you know, for the Giants. I think another storyline is going to be the cohesiveness of that offensive line, given the fact that they're going to be, you know, predominantly depending upon, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley to mm-hmm. carry the load there. Um, I, I would think if all everything goes right, and I do think this offensive line will be much improved, that Saquon Barkley will lead the NFL in rushing. Um, okay. I think there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, he's the most talented running back in the league, 91 receptions last year, so he, he does it on the ground and through the air, and wow. he's going to be the focal point of this offense. Um, do you think, so real I, quick... I think do you, story. Yeah. Go ahead. Do you, do you think that... Um, that the Odell Beckham trade could be an addition by subtraction, taking away his his off the field nonsense and then the fact the guy was constantly in the in the headlines nationally, you know, because it is New York for Christ's sake, but the guy was always in the in the headlines nationally for one reason or another, most of them being negative for one you know, for one uh, reason or another. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there was always a question about about Beckham like People talked about his work ethic, and he generally, um, you know, in, in covering the team, he, he does love to play the game of football. There's no question about that. But I agree with you, like, some of the off-the-field activity, like, needed to tamp down because at the end of the day, you, you know, the the great players focus, you know, the primary focus is to be a great football player. It's not to be, you know, a brand. Um, yeah. And I yeah. think that was I think that was the problem with Beckham. It was like, you know, he was this entity onto himself and not just for football. So, you know, he's at the Nickelodeon Awards show. He's here. He's there. And, and you're right. In New York, there's a probably a thousand and one red red carpet opportunities, you know, that that he could um, undertake at any given point in the football uh, season. So I do think that that they're going to be all business this year. There's not going to be that cloud of Beckham over their head. And I do think there is a certain amount of addition by subtraction. In addition to Beckham's 120 or 130 targets that can now get passed around to several other people. Yeah, you you see that happen in in the NFL quite a bit where you just don't think that a a team can do without this one person. And then they go ahead and they – they cut him or they trade him away, and it turns out to be a vastly uh, improve a vast improvement for the team because they're able to do instead of just trying to make that one person happy or focusing on that one guy. Now they can spread it around to Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, Evan Ingram. You got Barkley coming out of the backfield. Now you got something to work with as opposed to trying to make your hundred million dollar man happy. Yeah, I I think for sure that that's going to happen. Uh, I think the Giants have put points on the board. Um, on the other hand, you know, we'll we'll see how that defense is able to hold. I, you know, as yeah. I mentioned, you know, several times the the pass rush is really a paramount concern. And well, here's the thing with that. Here's the thing with that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's when it comes to defense, it's such a it it it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Like which one came first, you know, kind of thing. And it's just. Can an improved secondary help your pass rush? Or do you need a good pass rush to have a good secondary kind of thing? Because we've talked about, as we've gone through the Giants and the moves that they've made, the, the one first-round pick that seems to be a consensus good pick by the experts, quote-unquote, being Baker in, in, the first, in the first round there. you got Jabril Peppers. You have um, 
uh, you have your 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 safeties who uh, for some reason have flown right out of my head. And, oh, uh, but, but yeah, I think a yeah. they would be a solid performer for them. Right, and so, but you know, we saw it happen in Chicago when the secondary got better. All of a sudden, our pass rush came. But was it because we had a good pass rush that our secondary is solid, yeah. kind of thing? So, can one feed into the other? Maybe having this improved secondary that you're so high on at the moment will help your pass rush because they'll be given the time to get to the quarterback. I agree. In principle, I agree with you. Sure. The only issue I have is that there is there's really potentially such a lack of a pass rush that I right. think you're okay. you're really putting all your eggs in the basket of <laughs> these guys being able to defend at the back end. You know what I'm saying? So right. if, yeah. if I had you know a couple guys I could depend on for not even nine, ten sacks a year, I honestly I don't know if you know they're depending on Lorenzo Carter to get you know, between 12 and 15 sacks, I mean, you know, my God, that's a lot to expect. Right. Um, otherwise, I don't know where, you know, where it's going to come from. But, I mean, they're going to be, I think just just, just by their nature, they're going to be a run-stopping defense. So it's going to be very difficult to run the ball on them. I mean, with, with Lawrence and, and B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson, I think it's going to be very difficult to run the ball on them. So – teams are going to pass but once again the chicken and egg scenario is that a good thing for the Giants or a bad thing that they're right you know tempting people to pass with that you know with such a lack of a pass rush um it, it will be interesting you know because I only think there's so much a defensive coordinator can can dial up for a team right you know if you're really lacking um you know in the pass rush area so I'm interested I'm very interested to see how that plays out but I also do think the Giants, you know, it, it's back to the future for them. So I think w- one of the things is that they're going to be a ball control team. So it's also the run the ball with Saquon Barkley, short passing game, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that's why I think it'll be a seamless transition for Daniel Jones because it, it, they're not going to depend on him to, to, to make, a, at least early on, make a whole lot of difficult throws. Right. So looking into 2019, as a fan – what are you thinking for for the night for the 2019 Giants? Are you looking for improvement? Are we playing the long game here with all these new pieces and we're only year 2 into the coaching thing with a brand new rookie quarterback we're going to have to incorporate at some point and everything. What are you expecting out of the 2019 Giants? So when when I go back in history and I refer to the Kurt Warner transition to Eli Manning, I believe the Giants were 6 and 5 at that point when they turned it over to Manning and then they lost, uh, they lost four, I think four games and then Manning won his last, his final start of the season. But the statistics were just got off. If you look back at them. Mm-hmm. Um, so my feeling is that, um, uh, I would c- consider the season successful at eight and eight, especially if they could transition Jones into, into the starting role. Um, I would even take seven and nine if they could do that. And we see tangible progress um, in the areas that, you know, that I mentioned, you know, one being we transitioned from Eli Manning into Daniel Jones, the Daniel Jones era. Um, And that, uh, you know, we see improved uh, output from, you know, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. So I think it would be a, a very successful season if they're able to do that. 
Um, what I think, you know, will be will be problematic again if is if they do go five and eleven or six and ten. Um, and that, now I think you're starting to get that snowball effect of that that losing culture. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, two years is a short time, but you know. Hey, would Steve Wilkes got fired after his first year in in Arizona? Um, yeah, in Arizona. So, uh, but the Giants usually don't operate that way. But um, you know, to 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 me, my line of demarcation, if I had to throw it out there for you, is that the difference between it's one game difference. So you're saying what's the big deal? But it's that line of demarcation of uh, six and ten and seven and nine. Right, and you know. and I, I had a, a similar train of thought when it was the, the Bears a couple of years back under John Fox. For me, it wasn't so much like with, with the talent level that we have and so many young guys on the team and, and transitioning from the old 4-3 defense to the 3-4 and the personnel it takes to run those different kind of uh, units uh, and whatnot. It really, wins and losses weren't as important as how the team played. You know, like, yeah. were, was this a team that, that won five games and was lucky to win five games? Or was it a team that bat, you know, fought and battled and scratched their way to a 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight record where, you know, if the ball bounces a certain way, maybe we win nine or ten games and, and things like that. It's all about how it translates onto the, onto the field. Were you a lucky 5-11 and uh, 11 or were you a scrappy seven and nine as to you know maybe this team even though they lost more games than they won can make that big step we saw some improvement on the field this year yeah i i agree with you there um and that's one of the things i said you know when we're discussing pat Shermer's, i just didn't see t- enough tangible improvement sure um but i'm giving him benefit of doubt because uh you know he, he was sent to battle without a lot of pieces too. Sure. Uh, and, that's, and less so after, you know, those trades at the trading deadline. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I, I do think that they're going to have to show, um, tan, you know, tangible improvement. You know, the other thing too is, um, especially when we think offensively, you know, signing Golden Tate to that contract and he's north of 30. I mean, there's some expectation that, um, I hate to use the word contend, but um, let's just put it this way, that that you would have to think that Gettleman's doing that because he thinks the Giants can be in the mix. And in the NFL, you never know these days. You get on a hot streak, and let's face it, they're playing the um, – they get to play the last play schedule, you know, mm-hmm. this year too. So, you know, things could happen. But, you know, I still go back to what, what can his expectations, Dave Gettleman's expectations be – if he's transitioning to uh, to a new quarterback, um, you know that I can't, you know I can't answer. But I agree with you that it's one of those things that we'll we'll know if we see it, if we see improvement, um, you know, on the field. So I think to a certain extent, win loss is not going to be as critical as that improvement that you're talking about. Right. You know, which is why which was why I fudge it and say eight and eight because you know. Um, you know, in a division, you know, rivalry games, I, I mean, the last couple of years, they really should have beaten the Eagles one time. And the Eagles are a top-notch team in the NFL. Right. 
So if you start splitting games with the Eagles and Cowboys, which the Giants can do, you know, I think eight and eight is very attainable. Sure. You know, for them. Um. But you know, I, I think the other thing too, from a Giants fan standpoint, he's got to break this curse of the Eagles. I mean, it's just been uncanny lately. Like, um. Yeah, I talked you know, to having, my my uh, I talked to my Eagles guy last week, and he mentioned like in the last. Uh, he said that Donovan McNabb has as many wins since 2004 in the in the series, and he hasn't been on the team since like 2008 or something like that, as right. Eli Manning does, to to right. kind of give the you know the how the the scales have tipped in that rivalry. A guy that hasn't played in the rivalry for the better part of a decade has just as many wins as a guy who's been in the rivalry the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, in twenty. 20- um, 17, I mean, they snatched a, a defeat from the jaws of victory down at the link, and they did the same <laughs> thing. They, I mean, they did the same thing uh, last year, too. Right. Um, you know, but thing uh, was it, I'm trying to think, uh, Jake Elliott. Yeah. Kicks this field goal for the ages, you know, at a time where the Giants had the lead. And not only give up the lead, um, and get the game tied. Now the Eagles win it because Eli Apple blows a coverage, goes for an interception. Now gives them a chance for I think it was sixty-one yard field goal. So I mean, there have been a lot of serendipity on the Eagles' part. I mean, they have to understand that. So I'm just waiting for that kind of curse to <laughs> um, the, the football gods to smile upon, uh, yeah. because the Giants have definitely deserved the better fate in playing the Eagles than they've gotten in the last, you know, few go rounds. So I. You know, like I said, if you can split with the Eagles and Cowboys or even split with one of those teams, I think 8-8 eight and eight is very attainable. I mean, I think they can sweep the, you know, the Redskins. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, along the way, you know, I, I think they'll cobble together some good periods of time. One huge Achilles heel that we didn't talk about are the bad starts that the Giants have gotten off. Sure. In September. Yeah. And, you know... Like we always say, you can't win the division in September, but you certainly can lose it. Yeah. And you just can't come out of the gate 0-4, 1-3, you know, 1-4, and, and, and expect to end. Yeah. Yeah, was it 2016 or 2017? They started like 0-8, 0-9, and they, they had that yeah, toilet that bowl. Coughlin's. Yeah, yeah that, that toilet bowl game with the 49ers where somebody's got to <laughs> win because just because, you know. I guess right. we could go to a tie, but generally you have to think that one of these lousy football teams is coming away with a win today. So, you know, it's exactly. uh, where the, the rubber meets the road kind of thing. Something's got to give here. So, you know, and, um, and and that's always kind of been part and parcel of like the, the it's like this wishful thinking that hasn't come close to coming true. You know, like Eric Flowers is going to turn into a pro, pro bowler, or you know. Um, you know, that offensive line has been their Achilles heel, I think, for at least the last three to four years. So that, that has been buttoned up. So that bodes well um, for starting the season effectively because they're just going to feed, um, you know, Saquon Barkley. And I think it's going to be a short, controlled passing attack. Even with Manning in his, in his you know, probably the last season. Yeah. yeah. So is that, that, that was going to be my last question for you. Is Is that something that you're – hopeful for that this is the end of the Eli Manning era that you can move on to to Daniel Daniel Jones for better 
for worse, we let Eli move on and let the Giants' fate be the be without him for once? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I can equivocate on that because to me it was like it, it's tantamount to, to me being a Yankees fan and watching Derek Jeter. And there's the Derek Jeter you remember, and then there's the 40-year-old Derek Jeter. Sure. And, um, you, you know, Father Time is, is undefeated. Undefeated, yep. <laughs> you, you know, and, and you know, we've seen some decline in, in Manning. Did he have a great supporting cast? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. But his play had, you know, all the people get on you for when you try to speak the truth. And you have to be honest that Manning's play has declined as well, which sure. is a function of age. Um, happened to his brother. Yeah. You know, at some point will happen to Tom Brady. Who knows when? But yeah, it'll, who knows? It'll, it, it'll happen. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see uh, Manning have a successful year, then transition to Jones, and, and I think, um, you know, give him a nice send-off and, uh, you know, appreciation, much appreciation for the two Super Bowl wins that, you know, the detractors, you know, say, you know, was dumb luck, but the Giants don't have two Super Bowl wins without Eli Manning under center. Right. No, I, I agree. I I'm not 100% certain on what Eli's legacy will be, but I wouldn't take anything away from him as far as those games against the Patriots. Number one, it was the Patriots, and he's like the exception to the rule as far as the Patriots being in the Super Bowl. He's the reason that Tom Brady doesn't have eight rings instead of six uh, right. right now. And, you know, he beat those teams, especially that undefeated one in Super Bowl 42. Eli Manning did that, especially on that last drive and, you know, staying alive no matter what, do the helmet catch thing. And then we talked about at the top of the show, the throw to, to Plaxico to, for the game winning uh, touchdown and everything. Eli was ice water in his veins. Uh, in those moments and then comes back and makes a very similar throw uh, that's just as improbable to was it Manningham down the sideline in Super Bowl 46 that set up the game winning uh, touchdown uh, for that one yeah. uh, as well yeah. you know when when those moments counted in those big games Eli stepped up now what will his entire legacy be is he a Hall of Fame quarterback and all that kind of stuff we could probably argue about that all day long but all I know is that in the moments when it counted, Eli was there for the team, and he was a big reason on why they won. Yeah, and I, I and I think it is going to be debatable because especially if he crosses over that uh, below five hundred threshold. Yeah, yeah. Then it's going to be real fodder for for debate. Um, you know whether that's fair or unfair. You know, like you said, we could argue it, debate it for hours. But sure. I think that's going to be that's going to be an issue. So it will be interesting to see what the one loss record is at the you know when it's all said and done yeah and if if it's going to be a transition to daniel jones i can't say that he's he's probably going to be south of where he wants to be on that one if if they eventually turn the reins over to daniel jones this year you you, you would think but i like i said i just reminded you um they were six and five when Warner true. turned it over to eli so that's true you, 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 you know you never know if that's the direction and i think I think these guys are pretty adamant that they, you know, they're getting a little upset you know, because the media in New York is saying that they don't have a plan. And um, hmm. that's kind of sticking in Dave Gellman's craw. Sure. Um, so I think, um, you know, they drafted Jones to play sooner rather than later, especially with the sixth overall pick. Um, yeah. And I think he's a bright guy. And like I said, I think it's going to be a controlled passing attack. 
so it's not going to be a huge heavy lift for him. Um, you know, coming in, um, I think the, the, the changeover will be tough psychologically for a lot of Giants fans, but I think on the field, it, it, it might even be easier than we suspect. Okay. Well, uh, you know, Kurt, this has been fun, man, uh, talking the Giants uh, with you. Uh, we'd love to have you back in, uh, well, it, well, Jesus Christ, five and a half months when we play again. <laughs> uh, November 24th, week number 12 uh, is uh, when our teams are slated to, to bash heads uh, in Soldier Field. So we'd love to have you back then. Uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? You can look for me on gmanh2.com. All right, so there he is, uh, Kurt Mackison from G-Man and HQ. I'm on, uh, Go ahead. Also on Twitter at, Twitter at KurtMack23 in case anybody hears this and says you're, you know, you're completely wrong about Eli Manning. Right, and and you're drinking the Kool Aid back in Daniel Jones, dude. You're out of your mind, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. So, uh, uh, who, are you on Gettleman's payroll? There you go. There you <laughs> I, go. I've had that one time too. All right, Kurt Mackison, Fansided.com's G-Man HQ. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, my pleasure. Remember, guys, Bears 100 for your 50% deposit bonus at MyBookie and ACAA, promo code ACAA, for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. So I want to thank Kurt for coming on to the show. Uh, be a while before we get the chance to talk to him again. Week number 11, I believe, uh, 11 or 12, where the Bears play the uh, the Giants in, uh, in November. And... Um, yeah, so a lot of the t- questions, just like I said last week with the uh, or with the Chiefs, that uh, by the time we see this team, a lot of the questions that we have during this episode will be answered uh, by then. Will Will Daniel Jones have phased Eli out as the starter uh, by then? Will those Will those other uh, draft choices in the first round uh, prove to be an you know Will they get an immediate return uh, on those guys? Will they Will Will Odell being gone? be an addition by subtraction and you know getting rid of him makes the team better because that drama that shadow the 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 spotlight what have you from Odell is elsewhere it's in Cleveland now we don't have to worry about that this uh you know for better for worse he's gone that the this the guy that just loved to be a distraction the guy that's on the sidelines humping the the kicking nets uh, or marrying or proposing the kicking. I remember when he was doing that and, and all the rest of that stuff. It was like, God bless the guy for being as talented as he is and making the catches that he does. He obviously cares about his craft, but he also cares about being in the spotlight and, you know, everybody look at me while I do this and so on and so forth. Will it be an addition by subtraction with him no longer being uh, on the roster? So will Jabril Peppers be a big, uh, a big imp- impact player? Uh, for them and 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 everything else uh, in between, uh, he uh, it seems to be more of a Kurt seems to be a bit more of an optimistic uh, guy. He's he's a, a the the glass half full uh, type, I would think. After that discussion, I think you guys uh, would agree. So we look forward to having him back in November and week number eleven or twelve. I already forgot uh, which it is that the Bears play the, uh, the I think it's twelve. I'm pretty sure it's twelve uh, that we play the Giants and uh, see where we're at. 
uh, at that point in the season. Are the Bears gearing up for another playoff run? Uh, are the Giants thinking ahead to 2020? That's why we're going to see Daniel Jones and so on and so forth. Either way, the two teams meet up in Soldier Field uh, in late November. So that should be uh, should be. It will be nice to talk to him again. I had a great time. Uh, talking to him so that's going to do it for part one of our nfc east preview featuring the new york giants come on back later this week on friday i believe saturday at the latest just keep your eyes on the twitter feed at btu underscore larry for the twitter feed uh beat uh, bears talk underground just search bears talk underground on facebook to find out there i'm shooting for friday but it'll be saturday at the latest that part number two featuring the washington redskins will uh will hit the airwaves for us and ian cummings from rigo's rag the uh the website and the podcast uh will be joining us to help preview the 2019 uh redskins so looking forward to that the redskins started six and three last year i think a lot of people forget how good they were at the start of the year how strong their start was because all people remember was the horrific leg injury for Alex Smith, how it derailed his season, possibly his career, and then the season went down the tubes with the Redskins after that. Injuries galore, pulling quarterbacks off the street, <laughs> including Mark Sanchez. It was a bad situation uh, with the Redskins. They started 6-3, and three, finished 7-9, and nine, so they went 1-6 and six, uh, down the stretch. So they were a first-place team, or at the very least, a wild card team, and then Alex Smith gets injured, and it all went down the tubes from there. So we'll have Ian on the show to talk about what happened, where things went wrong. Is it as black and white as losing, uh, you know, Alex Smith, or was there more to things going sideways on the Redskins last year? So come on back on Friday. Uh, keep your eyes open, maybe Saturday, because I'm, I'm heading to Chicago this weekend, so I might be a little too busy to get it posted by Friday, but I'll take care of it on Saturday. So keep your eyes open. I will keep you informed. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.